Hi, and welcome to Sleeves Rolled Up. I'm your host, Julia DeRota. When faced with the serious and complex needs of people in our society, many throw up their hands in exasperation. At the Salvation Army, however, we roll up our sleeves and get to work. In this episode, we're chatting about something called add-on insurance. The Salvation Army serves over 140,000 people each year. Many of these people are on benefits, lower incomes, and face multiple complex social and financial issues. Additionally, many who use our various services buy cars via finance. We believe there are real risks that the add-on insurance market is disproportionately affecting vulnerable consumers and people facing precarious financial positions as they navigate buying cars on finance and try to understand intricate insurance products and details. In today's episode, you'll learn what add-on insurance is, and why the Salvation Army is concerned about the impact add-on insurance products have on vulnerable Kiwis, plus what we're planning on doing to tackle this issue. Kia ora, Andrew and Ronji, great to have you here on the podcast today. So firstly, can you just tell our listeners what your roles are within the Salvation Army? Well, kia ora My name is Ronji Tanilu. I work uh, for the Social Policy and Parliamentary Unit of the Salvation Army. Uh, so my job is to try and challenge and disrupt and hold to account uh, government departments, ministers and other uh, leaders and influencers in our country. Kia My name is Andrew Mitchell. I work as a financial mentor at Royal Oak Community Ministries in Auckland. So I see clients individually and help them mainly with debt issues that they have. Um, I'm also increasingly taking an interest in systemic issues, uh, hence my appearance on this podcast. Fantastic. Thanks for that. So before we begin um, our chat today, I think it's important to clarify the Salvation Army is not anti or against car insurance. Insurance is a hugely beneficial tool for people and whānau to help protect against risks and loss. What we're trying to highlight here in this podcast is that the impact of add-on insurance products on those on the lowest income in our country is problematic. So um, Andrew or Ronji, one of you could briefly explain what add-on insurance actually is and you know, does it actually impact a lot of people and is an insurance a good thing? Why should we be worried about this? Hey, I'll jump in there first, if that's all right, uh, Julia, and, and, and thanks for having us on the podcast. If you have any hard questions, you can give them to Andrew. He's, a, he's the real expert here. But I think, I think um, your message around us not being anti-insurance is really important. I think the key, though, is we want to make sure that insurance is value for money, especially for poorer New Zealanders that we work for work with. And what we found with add-ons uh, through the Commerce Commission report, as well as some of our investigations, is that it is, it is a low-value insurance model. So basically, add-on insurance products uh, 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 in the name, they're added on at the point of sale uh, to, uh, to uh, people who are buying cars on finance. Uh, you can use them for other uh, uh, purchases, but we're focusing here on car purchases and second-hand, second-hand car purchases. Uh, there's four main ones uh, in uh, Aotearoa that are, that are common. I think Andrew might want to touch on those. But, and I think in theory, these add-on insurance products that are usually sold at the point of sale, uh, there's a lot of pressure that's put on the buyer to, to purchase these products. In theory, they're pretty good. But I think the challenge that 
we're finding when we dig a little bit deeper, when we get experts like Andrew jump in and have a look at the numbers and the details, we're actually finding a lot of problems. And we're finding that, uh, that, that insurance in this cost of living crisis can be a real challenge. It's a, it's a privilege for many people, but it is a trade-off that people are making where do I purchase, do I pay my bills versus do I keep my insurance um, payments going? So I think that's the nature of, of this advocacy paper to have a look at this add-on insurance world, try and drill a little bit deeper into what's really happening and try and unpack some of the murky, can I say maybe dodgy practices that are in the, in the market uh, and that are unfairly disadvantaging um, poorer New Zealanders in our work. So um, maybe Andrew, if you want to head on, um, add on to that. Yes, so, so I'll start with um, payment protection insurance, which in my view is the one that should be focused on, which is least value for money. Uh, so the theory is that if you take out a loan and then you um, are unable to pay because of redundancy or um, ill health, then the insurance will pay for you. But um, when the Commerce Commission uh, asked these insurance companies for some of the numbers, um, we're very disturbed to find that for every dollar of premium that our clients are paying, only 10 cents was going back um, to the punters in terms of claims. Now, if you compare that with car insurance, it's more like 65 or 70 cents. So obviously there's something very wrong with this insurance market. And a lot of it comes down to the fact that people don't realize they've even bought an insurance product. And that's what I find, because of course I have people coming to see me, they've got a car loan. Uh, if I get the loan statement, I'll see PPI $1,000. So I'll ask them, oh, so I see you've bought some payment protection insurance. And they'll just look at me blankly. So they've got no idea that they've purchased the product. So I think that's the fundamental problem is if someone um, has a product that they're not even aware that they've purchased, then, then there's something wrong. Uh, so the solution that I'm keen on that, to start with is asking these insurers for full refunds on the basis that the product has been missold and that there was no informed consent. Mm, it seems to be that point of sale process, right, where people just, they're, they're getting into trouble, they don't understand what the products are, and so whose responsibility is it to explain that to them? Is that the, the car dealer? So, so under law, it actually sits with the finance company, but of course it's the car dealer that person meets so the, the um, person who buys the car never meets anyone from the finance company they meet the car dealer and so the car dealer is meant to explain um, about these insurances and they're not meant to be mandatory but that's another thing people that are aware they've bought something thought it was mandatory um, so you have the problem of people who aren't aware they've purchased it it's they might of course they've ticked the box somewhere or signed their initials but there's been no meeting of the minds. Uh, and when the Commerce Commission talked to some of the car dealers, um, they said, well, of course, we're, we're doing everything correctly. But I think the reality is when you're in a high pressure situation and when what you're really interested is in is getting your hands on the car, uh, it's very easy um, to purchase these add-ons without really realizing it and of course, the real problem is that, say, for a hundred thousand dollar premium, five hundred just goes straight to the car dealer. So there's an enormous incentive for them to sell these products, 
because um, they're clearing commission for not having to do very much at all. Mm. And that's what I was about to ask is about they they there's a big incentive for these sales salespeople at the car dealerships and they're going to say, you know, quite a lot of stuff, aren't they, to twist your arm and maybe not twist your arm, it's probably a little bit negative, but to really uh, sell it. Yeah, if I can just, yes. I think, I think um, Andrew's covered that really well in terms of that pressured environment. And, you know, we know of people that have sort of done um, sort of secret buyers, uh, you know, they, they, they've been financial mentors and others that have gone and experienced what uh, uh, every other New Zealander goes through. And, they, and there's a lot of information that's being passed in terms of contracts and interest rates and, 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 and sort of uh, third party or comprehensive insurance. So there's that stuff happening. There's also the finance details. If you're buying it on a on a loan, and then on top of that, that's where the add-on products come on. I think that's where you know Andrew's been really good in emphasizing that it is around the informed consent that happens at that time where you've got all this information that's passed over. You've got this really murky relationship that happens between the dealer and the finance company or the insurer. So as Andrew said, you don't the people don't actually meet the finance company; they're just dealing with the dealer, and so. There's, there's, there's things like introducer fees where there's sort of um, fees that are paid exclusively to dealers. There's sort of, and then and then when you add the, the sort of pricing of these products, hey, Andrew, it's, it's really shocking when you think about the, the lender or the insurer is giving a, a, a wholesale price, but then the, the, the dealer can mark that up even higher to get to the retail price. So there's all of this kind of stuff that's happening and the person just wants a car. They want to get a car. They want to, make that purchase it's usually one of the biggest purchases they make in their lives outside of a house and so i think that's the pressured environment that we wanted to highlight in our paper i think the these products are really there for the insurance companies the car dealers and the finance companies i mean i think that's quite obvious when you look at a hundred dollars uh, 90 is going to the, the three businesses and only 10 is going back in claims that's quite obvious um, who these products are benefiting. The, the other issue that comes in is even if you do realize you've purchased the product um, and then you do have um, some, some incident which allows you to claim on it, uh, it can be very difficult. The claims process is difficult. Uh, often the, often the um, client doesn't, doesn't know who the insurer is. So I've, I've helped people in these cases. Uh, so in one case, it was someone who'd been working for 15 years for the same company, took voluntary redundancy, um, and then was struggling to pay the car loan. So it took me quite a lot of effort um, from the finance company to even find out who the insurer is. And I know, um, likewise, if you approach the car dealer, because you have three parties here, you have a car dealer, insurance company, and um, a finance company. So they don't make it easy any step of the way. And the loan company often doesn't say to the client, oh, look, you've got insurance. Why don't you claim insurance? You know, if they've had a job loss. So um, yeah, my experience of trying to help people uh, claim, so I've, I've not been successful, I have to say. I've never successfully made a claim on behalf of a client. Um, I've tried several times, but for various reasons, it's just been too hard. Um, so I, I definitely don't see these products as particularly benefiting my clients. I'd much rather that they um, weren't sold them. Can I just jump uh, in there? I was quite horrified yep. to see some of the numbers around the claims process. So there's problems in the point of sale around informed consent. 
but three of the four main products in, in Aotearoa have a, have a probability of having a claim paid out for these three products between one to 2%. And when you add the fourth product, which, is, um, which was around um, uh, motor vehicle breakdown insurance, that was a 15% likelihood of that claim being um, uh, approved and paid out. And I, I guess what we're saying, it's really unfair, Julia, like this is an unfair market. And, and so for, for all New Zealanders, it's unfair. But when you think of, of poorer New Zealanders, that the army has a mission to help hey, through our, our mission and, 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 and our tradition, our history, and working for the most mm -hmm. vulnerable who don't have mm -hmm. as much financial buffers or much finances in general, when mm -hmm. we're trying to push people to get insurance because it is helpful in the long term, but then, then these dodgy products are sold on top of general insurance. That's the unfairness of it. And I think that's why I was really blessed when Andrew came to me and said, Ronji, we need to look deeper at this issue because it's, there's changes happening overseas and we need to dig deeper into what's happening in our own country. Yeah, so, so if I could just talk about what's happened in Australia, their regulator did a report in 2016. So until the Commerce Commission produced their report in 2021, we knew these were poor value products, but we didn't have the hard evidence. Now we know for sure. So in Australia, that happened in 2016. So in the last five or six years, there's been $500 million in refunds, and we're looking for something similar in New Zealand. Um, so I think that the penetration of these products is similar. Uh, so maybe we're looking something like $80 million of refunds. Uh, it's very early days. I see this as a, as a five-year project. Um, but I think if the Aussies can do it, um, why can't we? And the, the, the products are almost identical. Um, it's just a case of alerting the politicians, the media, um, community organisations, and we all work, work together and we solve this problem. If Aussies are doing it, we can surely do it better, right, Andrew? Absolutely. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and we can learn from, from their process. We can piggyback on what they've learned. So I've already talked to the organisation in Australia that led the campaign on this, uh, and they've given me some good tips. I've pulled together a, a little team of financial mentors. We'll be taking cases to the dispute resolution schemes and saying, hey, we want a, ref a full refund because these products were missold. And we're not going to go away. We're going to keep pushing until we see that these unfair products, uh, we, we want the refunds and we also want to see a lot less of them sold. And I guess that comes to the solution in Australia as well as the refunds. They change the law and you are not allowed to offer these add-ons for sale at the same time as the car loan is arranged. So if you want to, the car dealer wants to sell add-ons, they have to wait four days, and then they have to contact um, the client, the borrower. And of course, once they're away from that high-pressure situation, people are a lot less um, susceptible to, to making poor decisions. Mm. And that was one of the recommendations in the report that I saw in the summary was implementing the deferred deferred sales add-on process. That seems very sensible. Yes, um, it, it would require a law change. Uh, that's why it, it was only brought in in Australia last year. So it right. took several years to get that through. But again, they've done it. We can, we can point to them and say, yeah. let's do it um, more rapidly. Yeah. And would we have the support of the Commerce Commission? Yes. So this report is excellent 
so they worked on it for two years. Uh, they they had to go and um, specially ask the insurance companies and the finance companies for this information. So it's not something that was ever available before. So they had to do a special um, research project um, and then they collated the data. And if you look at the report, um, excellent graphs and you just see it immediately, well, this is a very dysfunctional market. Um, but we believe they're being too conservative in terms of their first step is to educate car dealers. Well, we don't think when the car dealers have got so much to gain here that that's going to cut the mustard. Uh, so we think the Salvation Army and other community groups is actually in a good position to highlight what the Commerce Commission discovered. And then if, if enough other members of the community make a noise about this, the Commerce Commission will have a lot more confidence to go and, and regulate um, in a tougher fashion. Mm, absolutely. So, um, can you talk a little bit about um, the recommendation to ban flex commission practices? And what, what is a flex commission? I think part of one of the things that we wanted to, um, to look at with that report is that there, uh, in terms of our paper, is that there were things that we believe the government can do, um, which is part of our role. So banning flex commissions and the way that commissions are paid uh, between the dealer and the, uh, between the finance company and the dealer are, are important, as well as um, advocating for that, that calling off period or that, that, that sort of deferred sales. I think those things are really important. But as Andrew said, there's really important things that the community can do. I think there's things like a demand, a refund. I think the, 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 the amount coming back from Australia is about half a billion, right, Andrew? It's about $500 million that have come yes, back. Yes, from, from various sources. Yeah. Uh, some of that is from the regulator. Some of that was the, the community group that spearheaded the campaign in Australia. They set up a website and that guided people through how to just write a letter to the insurance company and demand a complete refund. So about $30 million has been returned from them. And there are also class actions. So um, even though there's been refunds from various sources, it's still not enough. So lawyers um, have, have started class actions. Uh, so there's more money to be refunded in Australia, I think. That's probably an interesting one, Julia, because I know the army uh, might get a little bit worried about any any law legal action here. But, but you know, a class action suit is not a common thing in New Zealand, but it's very common in the US and in the UK, and now it's growing in popularity popularity in, in Australia. And part of that is where you are able to, to to wrestle and argue for for better outcomes at the in court. And I think I think we should we we did put that in our paper as well that we should explore some of those things in terms of. How do we gather people or how does uh, some organization gather people to be able to advocate for a, a, a large group of people that are disaffected by this? So, yeah, those are some of the, the, the sort of um, recommendations and advice that we gave that we think can really come, that can be made by government, but also things that we can drive in the community as well. And that's why, um, as Andrew said, the Army can take a really leading position in this in terms of some of our advocacy around uh, these insurance areas. And, and in Australia, talking to the Consumer Action Group, it was the media, once the media got hold of it and highlighted the unfairness of it, and especially once the, the refund mechanism was made available, uh, that made a huge difference. So we're looking for the media to get involved here in New Zealand as well. Mm. Um, one part of the report that I thought was interesting was being a little bit disruptive and looking at different forms of car insurance and kind of exploring what that could look like. 
and there was something with Good Shepherd partnering with Vero. Um, yeah, I think it's early. It's still early days in that. I think, right. um, uh, Julia, and I think that's something that we should be looking at. I yeah. mean, um, I know that the army actually owns an insurance company in the UK. Um, and so they they've been involved and in I think that might be more around health and, and, and life insurance. But I think so there's models that exist within the church, within Christian churches, within the Salvation Army. But that the work that Good Shepherd is doing around providing another form of, of affordable um, car insurance is really good. It's probably the beginning steps of some of that disruptive innovation. And, and whether, I don't think the army needs to do everything. We, we, you know, we are involved in leading some of this, but if other groups are, are developing innovative products that, that, are, that are actually going to help people transition away from some of the dodgy stuff into something that hopefully is a lot more safer and more ethical, I think that's a good discussion. So I guess I put that there in the paper just to make sure that we're, we're not just talking. It's easy to talk about problems, right? It's easy to talk about the ambulance at the bottom of a cliff, but I think we as the Salvation Army should always be talking about how do we build fences at the top of the cliff. And one of those fences would be around innovative products, especially targeting poorer New Zealanders. And I think you know, there's a couple of uh, models around um, affordable life insurance for poorer New Zealanders, uh, some um, uh, funeral insurance cover that's targeted to poorer New Zealanders. So I think we should be thinking broadly like that. And I think <clears throat> Ranji's talking about um, cheaper car insurance. So we, as mentioned at the beginning, we're all in favour of car insurance. These add-ons um, are not car insurance at all. They're a, they're a rip-off. So it would, uh, in fact, I have a, I had a client who spent car was eight thousand dollars. He spent three thousand dollars on these various add-ons right up front, and they charge it all at once. So of course they're getting interest for the life of the loan. Unfortunately. Um, because his car insurance he was paying fortnightly, he decided he couldn't afford that, so he stopped paying the car insurance. Wasn't it an option to stop paying these add-ons? In fact, he didn't actually know he'd purchased them, so <laughs> it wouldn't have, wouldn't have occurred to him, but he stopped his car insurance, then it wasn't an accident, his car was written off. Uh, so that's, it's not uncommon where uh, people are stopping car insurance. So they're not having the one insurance they really need, which is car insurance. Instead, they're having these add-ons, uh, which are junk. And they're locked into paying them, right? You get, there's not, it's not. Yeah, they pay up front. Yeah, you're not yeah. paying them every fortnight. So you can't suddenly yeah. decide, oh, I don't like this. You pay mm. up front. And, and as I say, you often don't realise that you've paid. Uh, and so you're also paying interest on them for the three or four years of loan. So bad deal all round. Mm. I'm actually curious, Andrew. So if someone, someone that could be listening or someone that's listening knows someone that's in one of these situations, what's the process like? So do they they go, oh, I'm in a bit of trouble, you know, I I don't have enough money to pay my bills, I need some, I need some advice. Do they contact a Salvation Army Center and then they get put in touch with a financial mentor? Like, can you talk about that process? Yes, so they, they can do it that way. There's also a national helpline for people with uh, financial issues or problems or questions about debt. That's called Money Talks. Uh, that's run by FinCap, which is the national organisation um, that all financial mentoring services fit under. Uh, so that I guess that the one piece of advice for people is don't leave it too long. Unfortunately, often by the time people come to see me, um, you know, the car is just about to be repossessed or even has been repossessed or the debt has gone to the debt collectors. Um, 
because understandably people often just hope these issues will go away. Um, so yeah. the, the earlier we see people, the more we are able to help. Because I know that sometimes it can be hard to talk about money problems or you're wondering like, oh, I'm going to I'm gonna go to this meeting and they're going to comb through all my accounts and I'm going to feel really ashamed or a bit embarrassed about getting myself in this situation. But we are here to help, right? And there's yes. no sort of yeah. judgment about how you got yourself into, into a situation. No, it's, it's understandably difficult and people are often often nervous um but generally you know we're, we're here to help um and we've always seen we've always seen more difficult situations than what someone comes with so they're often they often think they're coming with something that will never have come across before but that's not the case um and yeah it's it's not a not as bad as you think it's going to be in fact it can be quite good to talk about things that that it's not easy to find someone else to talk about, you know, your financial yeah. issues. Yeah. yeah. I, really, I really want to talk about what Andrew said, Julia, around getting help as early as possible. I think the Salvation Army is blessed to have, I think, the biggest network of financial mentors and budgeters right across um, the country. And I think mm. there, there is help available out there. Um, the number for, the, for Andrew mentioned money talks, the number for that is a free, um, it's a free number. So it's 0800 345 123. 0800-345-123, that is run by FinCap, as Andrew uh, said, which is connected to uh, hundreds of other budgeting services or financial mentoring services across the country. But, you know, part of the reason we do these papers, Julia, is to spotlight issues, to work, to try and bring disruption and change and positive change in that area, you know, because it is affecting people. And I think that's why, um, you know, if, if for those that are ma, that are embarrassed, that are, that are challenged, or you know people, have those conversations with people, talk to someone, and that might lead to a discussion with a budgeter or financial mentor to be able to dig a little bit deep into some of those challenges. It is exposing, it is embarrassing, but man, the, 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 the benefits and the blessings that come out of that are wonderful when you can actually get some sort of financial progression, maybe even freedom. Um, from some of the challenges that uh, that, you, that we have in terms of hardship in, uh, in Aotearoa today. Absolutely. Um, so I think we've covered covered the add-on insurance problem pretty well, but is there anything else that either of you wanted to cover before we wrap up the interview? I think it's covered pretty well, to be honest. I thought yeah. Andrew did a good job in covering, yeah. um, looking at, at um, the models, uh, sorry, in terms of the the what the four types are. We don't need to go into that detail. I think it's covered pretty well, to be honest, from my end. And we've, we've definitely pushed some of those recommendations that we think should work. Um, so yeah, I think anything, anything helps in terms of pushing the story, I think, Julia, because I think if we're talking about hundreds and thousands of people taking these products out, because there's about 150 products that were sold by those 15 companies per wow. year, 150,000. So that's just 15 companies. Yeah. So huge, but if we can start getting some traction in terms of getting some of this money back into the pockets of New Zealanders, I think that's a massive win for the army. Mm. So that, this, this, this report and the earlier Commerce Commission report, that's just the beginning. Uh, now the hard work begins um, when, we, when we go about putting forward requests for refunds, uh, talking to legislators about having a four-day pause. Yeah. That, that's so we, we, we're just beginning, so we might be back again in a year or so to let you know how we're going. 
That'd be awesome. Well, you to to I think it would be cool to give an update in a, in, in a year's time and say, yeah. hey, look, this because as Andrew said, this is a slow burn. It took mm. it took Australia since 2016. I think it was longer for the UK. Yeah. So, yes. so, so for us, this is a slow burn, but Andrew's like a pit bull, so he's just going to stay Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I think it's covered well. Yeah. Great. Yep. So do I. I. I was fascinated to read the report, and it was just outrageous, some of those numbers that are shared about, especially what got me was that um, the – that your your claim is so unlikely to be accepted at one to two percent, and then even fifteen percent. Like you get insurance and you think, great, I'm covered, in case something happens. <laughs> but it's like one, you don't know what you've signed up for, and two, you signed up for it, but it's not even going to actually help you. It's just outrageous, <laughs> it's so unfair. So I think it's great that we've brought attention to this issue, and yeah, we'll look forward to seeing the progress that'll hopefully be made over the next year or so.